are back. This is the We Don't Know Sports Podcast, and we are fired up, lubricated, ready to go. This episode is brought to you by Sierra Nevada Hazy Little Thing IPA, because you know what? Our sponsors of the past, Cold Spot, they just did a terrible job with the Growlers. Did they not, Mr. Brown? It was such a disappointment. It, it didn't even last for a whole day. I mean, you know what? When you go one day and you get a growler and it's filled up and it, it goes flat, that, that's a disheartening thing. But we had to make a run to the local convenience store. The uh, convenience stores of Speedway <laughs> is where we went. And their selection is not great, but we appreciate what we got. And not to make it sound like we have to have alcohol to get through the show, but it does help. We have a lot of fun stuff lined up. We got many sports to talk about. Obviously, the Super Bowl is a big deal, but we're going to hold off a little bit on that right now. We do have Eugene Napoleon stopping by later. He's got a new book out. Eugene, always a friend of the show. Great conversation. But yet again, here we are. It's not even February and Major League Baseball is at the precipice of the conversation. So this time it's the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame came out. We had a a lot of stuff uh, transpire over the past couple weeks as far as the Hall of Fame voting goes. We saw some people rise and then fall. But ultimately, we only got two people in. Derek Jeter, almost unanimous. I guess only one person decided not to go with him. And then who else got in? Larry Walker. (laughs) The Canadian. Canadian Biggie's with us this week. He should be excited. His brethren's in the Hall of Fame. By six votes. <laughs> hey, six votes is all it takes. Larry Walker deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. Not as much as Edgar Martinez, but I'll take him. Wow, you got to bring up Edgar again, don't you? Mm-hmm. All right, so so starting off the top, Jeter. Like I don't get that upset about the unanimous Hall of Fame thing. Like That doesn't even matter. Mariano was the only guy that's been unanimous ever, right? And I can understand with the way baseball Hall of Fame voting goes if you don't put somebody in unanimous because you might be holding off your votes because you only vote for 10 people. So you might be trying to keep somebody on the ballot. I get that. I'm not even upset he's not unanimous. Other people are. Am I wrong for thinking that? I mean, a lot of people is upset. I mean, I don't think it's a big deal because 75 is all you need to get in. He got 99.7. We went through this part of history without any of them until Mariano Rivera. Last year. Yeah, so, I mean, should Jeter have been unanimous? Absolutely. But there should have been multiple 50 players ahead of Mo before that. So, I mean, Jeter was a surefire first ballot, and he should be proud of that. What's funny is a lot of people are coming out now saying that he's like overrated. And I, I like, I get that to a certain extent, but like, let's not act like he's not a Hall of Famer. It's, it's a Tom Brady effect where if you're a great player <laughs> on Patriots the best team, fan. you get elevated. I love Tom Brady. I'm a homer. Jeter got elevated because of how good the Yankees were for as long as he played there. There's a list here I could read off, which I want of about 28 players who have the same career stats in a certain range as Derek Jeter. If you have 3,000 hits and you've played on contenders every 3, year. 3,500, get it right. I'm sorry, but I'm just saying like 3,000 is a benchmark, right? Yeah, it's two more seasons. Well, he's clear. well clearly Three he's more. over that. I'm fine with it the way it is. All right, how are you with only Larry Walker being the only guy that got in other than Derek Jeter? I mean, obviously Larry should have been in. It shouldn't have taken 10 years. The knock on Larry was two things, course field. 
and the fact he wasn't durable. He averaged like 125 uh, And games the fact that he wore season. SpongeBob SquarePants sweatsuits. Yeah, that's after the fact. At that point, 10 years, who cares what he wears? It hurt him. He didn't care either. It was <laughs> obvious. But it's, it's quite obvious also that Kurt Schilling should be in because I don't know how you can have Mike Mussina in, who I absolutely love, and not Kurt Schilling because you look at their stats, they're identical. And I would argue to say that uh, Kurt Schilling's postseason – Dominance by far. It it puts him ahead of Mike Mussina. He's eleven and two as a start in the postseason, and on top of that, Kurt Schilling had an entire season where he had more wins than he did walks. Like, how are you going to hate on this guy? Like, I get that he wants to have sports writers, you know, strung up by a tree by some rope and whatever. Like he said that. I get that, but like. I, and, and that's baseball's Hall of Fame thing, right? Like, it's not just about what you do on the field. It's about your integrity. But let's be honest, Kurt Schilling should be in the freaking Hall of Fame. Just because he called out the freaking sports writers doesn't mean he shouldn't be in. If Kurt Schilling had never said a word publicly after his retirement, he we, would already be in the Hall of Fame. We wouldn't be talking about this. I mean, that's what pisses me off because it's not just about integrity and the numbers. It's about the sports writers flexing their muscles and saying, I'll show him when they damn well know he should be in. I mean, so you're only getting two people in Cooperstown this year outside of the Veterans Committee. I mean, and that's fine to me. I mean, because we've had a golden age here in the last three oh, or four years. It, our cup has runneth over. Because uh, we're, we're getting to see the 90s uh, players that we all grew up as teenagers watching enter in the hall. We've had like 22 players here in the last uh, – More than they have in the last you know, decade. You know we have mean? like 22 players in the last seven years, which is a lot. Because well, several classes with uh, Several classes, though, with four players with being voted in without the Veterans Committee. So we've had some a good run here. Oh, I get and that. And it's getting ready to dry up. It is because those guys are, well, speaking of drying up, like I hate to keep banging this drum, but you got guys like Barry Bonds out there, Roger Clemens out there. Yeah, I know everybody's really divided when it comes to this conversation, and, and they're close. You know, they're above 60%. What are they? They were close to 70% this year. They're both at 60%. They're, they're, so they said at 60 So they both raised the percentage point. They have two years left on the ballot. Are they going to get in ever? I don't think they're going to get the 15%. That's my opinion. Because the guys that have already voted for them are the only guys that are, right? Like, you're not going to get 85 more people to change their mind. Well, the only you? thing that changes is is that sports writers have to be covering for 10 years or more to be eligible to vote. Right. The only thing that could save them is if there's a wave. If they retire? Uh, no, a wave of young voters coming up that don't really characterize steroids like well, uh, the older folks but do. that, and then it has to be some of these old other ones retiring. Like, they have to go away. But, like, the, the fact is, like, in two years, they're going to be out of luck because these guys, if they haven't put it – unless you think there is a conspiracy where they are just going to say, you know what, screw these guys, we're going to make them wait the freaking ten years. I don't think so. I think that if they don't get in the next two years, like you were just talking about where the pool's a little bit lower – then uh, there's no chance they're going to get it if it comes to a Veterans Committee decision. Well, I, I don't think you can ever count on the Veterans Committee to put in steroid-era people at all. Like, am I wrong thinking that? I mean, if it comes to that, they're not going to get them in on that way. No, absolutely not. No, because, I mean, look, Tom heals a lot of wounds. 
It's not it's not healing that one. Because the Veterans Committee is more about righting a wrong when it comes to these guys that were hard workers, guys that just grinded it out. Like Ted Simmons. Right. I, your Harold Baines is out there, which is arguable at best, but they'll put that guy in hand over fist before they put a guy like Barry Bonds in, right? That's absolutely right. That's also really wrong. <laughs> it Well, it's only wrong to the point – like I was listening to something the other day and they were talking about, oh, baseball fixed – you know, all this stuff in 1991. Like, no, they didn't. Like, I'm sorry, MLB Network. You can talk about this stuff all you want. It wasn't fixed because you didn't do the testing until 2003. So it, it was a crock. So these guys that kept using the roids or whatever, like, I understand. I'm not going to sit here on a soapbox and tell you that, no, Barry Bonds never failed a drug test and these guys are all clean. But the fact that you're going to have guys like Sosa and Bonds and McGuire, who aren't going to be in the Hall of Fame. And Sosa and McGuire brought much of the nation back into baseball after the strike in the 90s. Like, we're just a, we're going to ignore that. Like, it doesn't matter. I get that they were on something. I'm not going to say they aren't. But that doesn't help you see a ball. It doesn't help you see it come quicker. It doesn't help your reflexes. It might help you hit it harder. And I'm not saying you're not cheating. But – is it really cheating if baseball didn't outlaw it? To me, you can't hit the guys in the 90s like McGuire for doing stuff that wasn't illegal at the time. It may have been frowned upon, but unless it's illegal, it's not against the rules. I have an issue with it. You do whatever you can to gain an advantage. I mean, you're well, no, wait, 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 wait. I'm not saying I'm not saying do whatever you can to get an advantage. I'm not saying that. I am. God knows I've ripped all over the Astros for the past two weeks because of their taking advantage of the situation. Okay, well, that's too far. But the thing is, though, like with the guys after testing, like I don't even feel like it's relative because these guys face a suspension. Like, just because you got suspended for PEDs, I don't think disqualifies you from the Hall of Fame either. Because now, if you're a guy like Ryan Braun, who we just recently put on our all-decade team, did we not, Mr. Brown? We did. So he still missed time because of FedEx, or whatever it may be. I mean, yeah, Braun missed time, Manny missed time, A-Rod missed time. They all missed time that got caught. So, I mean, all they're doing is taking away from their opportunity to get their career stats. Now, they did maybe pad their stats along the way. I don't know. But to me, I mean, at that point, you've got to kind of – before the testing was documented, you got to just put them all together. Well, And this is what kind of pisses me off is when these sports writers – and, and I, I asked you about a specific one yesterday or today about Mad Dog Russo, right? He, he just crucifies everybody that's even associated with it. It doesn't even matter – how applicable the facts are. But, like, we're not going to look at a Jeff Bagwell. What do you mean? He was Joe Stop. You know he was. Right, because he played on a team with King Caminetti. Like, that's all you're, that's all you're going to say? He played during that time frame, and he played with a guy who was on steroids, so therefore we're going to ignore him. But, yet yeah, we're going to accept King Griffey and Frank Thomas like it's no big deal. Like, I don't get that at all. And, and like, that's what it comes down to. It's all these semantics, how you're going to sit there and try to figure out who's on it and who's not. Like, how do you even know? Like, most of them are. I don't care about Rafael Palmero, but if you want to look at his stats and put him in, then put him in. If you don't want him to have anything to do with baseball afterwards, don't hire him. It's fine. You can do it like – it's just like the Pete Rose argument. You can put him in the Hall of Fame – you can celebrate his accomplishments, but you can ban his ass from baseball. 
I mean, you're right. A lot of people's perception of it is is that the Cooperstown is a museum, and right. that their their accomplishments should be shown at the museum to show the history of baseball. Don't act like it didn't happen. But that don't mean they got to be a coach. They don't have to be an agent, a scout, or anything in the game. What's funny is even after all this, Barry Bonds is the damn hitting coach for the Marlins. And McGuire. And McGuire. I mean, that's ah! really what bothers me. Like Mr. Brown just said, it's not a part of Major League Baseball. It's a museum. You can show how the game was played and all the important players without following every rule of what everyone did. Banned or not banned. Failed a test or didn't fail a test in the Major Leagues. Ah, I'm so tired of the steroid conversation. It gets so old. And and I understand that people want to punish cheaters. But for people like us who are fans of the sport, you're punishing us to a certain degree. We want to see these guys in Cooperstown. If you want to put an asterisk next to them, if you want to say they played during the steroid days or whatever it may be, I don't care about any of this. All right, all right. So enough about the cheaters. <laughs> Bonds and Clemens aren't getting in. All right. Let's Doesn't just, look like it's it. It's not happening. All I'm right. Gonna, I'm going to tell you. It's not happening. I can't argue. Schilling gets in next year. He should. Um, the only other player that's close is Vizquel at 52%. Which is crazy that we're talking about Omar so, Vizquel over these other guys. No, but here's the thing, though. So two things are going to happen. Certain writers feel like they got to fill up up to 10 players, which they're allowed to do just but, to fill in the players. But they don't have to do 10. That's, that's what I'm getting at. So some play, some writers feel obligated because now Jeter's gone, Larry Walker's gone. Uh, you got guys that fell off the ballot. So and the upcoming um, people is not strong. Right. It's like Mulder, Zito, and uh, nobody really. Well, but you do have a Rod. You have a Rod and Ortiz no, that's coming. That's two up. years from now. My my point is is certain people feel like they got to fill out their ballot of ten players, which is going to raise several players' percentages possibly by double digits, and then other other people may turn in blank ballots and say there's zero Hall of Famers on here. Like, uh, yeah, I'll go up in percentage just because right, correct. some of the other guys they voted for well, got in and they want to fill their 10 I, I'll second that. It'll, it'll be it'll be Roland, too. Scott Roland will be one. You watch and see Scott Roland, who I think was a very, very good third baseman, is going to end up being a Hall of Famer because people don't want to put Bonds and Clemens in. And you look at Scott Rowland's. I know people hates the uh, stat war, but <laughs> he's good. He's right up there. And uh, I'm not saying he's not deserving, but I'm saying he's going to even benefit more from these sports writers not wanting to include the steroid era. The, the four players that's going to benefit the most from this scenario is Rowland, Jeff Kent, Viscale, and Andrew Jones. Well, how come Jeff Kent's not in already? Jeff Kent should be in because he beats Ryan Sandberg in every single category for second baseman. <laughs> And uh, it's not close. And it's, Sandberg was a, fir- a first ballot. Only problem is Jeff Kent pissed people off. Right. He was a dick. You followed up. You ended that with the most important statistic. The writers put you in, and he was kind of an asshole. He was. And and he hurt himself washing his truck or riding a jet ski. I can't remember how it went. He had 373 homers as a second baseman. I, he, he is, is – Correct me if I'm wrong. Is he not the all-time leading home run hitter for second baseman? Absolutely, yes. And he's not in the Hall of Fame. I mean, you got here's the problem. You can't compare him like like a Jeff Kent. You can't say, oh, he needs to hit 500 home runs and 3,000 hits. No. You need to compare him to other second, second baseman. baseman. Right? Right. 
And if you're the leading home run hitter in the history of baseball at, your at second base, at your you beat Ryan Sandberg by almost 100 home Who runs. Was first ballot. 100 home runs, and he's not in because he's a dick. I'm sorry. It's probably because. I'm sorry he rubbed you writers the wrong way, but integrity, you know, <laughs> that's not what that means because he makes you mad or uncomfortable. It's, he never said that you needed a rope and a tree. That wasn't him. That was Kurt Schilling. That's the most frustrating part of any Hall of Fame discussion is the fact that the writers who themselves aren't held to any certain integrity level get to decide who is and isn't in because who did or didn't want to give them an interview when they were, you know, MVP candidate or at the top of their position. You know who he reminds me of? Jeff Kent? Yeah. Uh, that porn star. No. <laughs> Jack Parkman. Jack Parkman. <laughs> I know he was a catcher. Major League, baby. I know he was a catcher, but. That's all right. I can envision him almost as first base, but not quite second base. He does this dance that makes all the women in San Francisco just go wild. <laughs> Everyone's like, who the hell is Parkman? <laughs> yeah. He's the guy who's taking your job. It's the guy that Ricky Vaughn had trouble pitching against. He's going to show him the eliminator. Or the masturbator. <laughs> I don't want to end the baseball segment yet. I wanted to ask you really quick, although that was a perfect note to end on. I can't find an organization that's in more trouble in Major League Baseball right now than the Colorado Rockies and, mm. no, and the Nolan Arenado situation. Nolan Arenado, I think, will be a Hall of Famer. He's already had an impressive, incredible start to his career. And he's coming out now putting these statements out about how they need to they need to get their head out of their you know what to figure things out. Like what the heck's happening in Colorado? Like, are you wanting a King's ransom for Nolan Arenado, which you should, or are they just mismanaging this altogether because they're telling Arenado, we're gonna deal you after giving you the contract, and now they find out they can't. I mean, you can't sign a guy for two hundred and sixty million or whatever it was, and then a year later Let's say what we can get for the guy, right? I mean, that's a bold strategy, Cotton. Yeah, Let's trade our best player. Here's the problem, though. He's got an opt-out clause within two or three years. I think it's three years from now. So the Rockies were wanting prospects based on as if he's not going to opt out, whereas they couldn't negotiate that. Right, no guarantee. And the teams wanted to pay uh, prospects based on if he was going to opt out, and they couldn't come together. So then Arenado gets pissed because he's like – I'm the face of your franchise. I signed the long-term deal. Why are you doing this in the media? Why are you trying to trade me? I'm here. And now it fell apart, and now it's bad for everybody. He since backtracked today and said, you know, there's some things going on that no one really knows about. I'm going to leave it alone. This issue is over with. I'm going to get ready for the season. My teammates and the fans, and you'll never hear about this again. And I respect that because, like, this stuff has been in the news for quite a while now, and Arenado has been relatively quiet. But at a certain point, you got to get kind of pissed off that all this stuff's coming up about you getting dealt to other teams. And so far, you're just sitting back practicing, getting ready for spring training. I agree with him. I feel completely. How do you sign a contract that big with a franchise where you're basically going to finish your career there? Then the entire offseason, your name's out there about where you're going to be traded, and it's a done deal. You're going here, you're going Well, here's the problem. Colorado is spending way too much money on these veterans. Am I not right? 
Do you realize what their payroll's sitting at? It's ridiculous. Do you realize though? Oh, it's ridiculous. They have all these guys who are past their prime that they signed to to deals that are paying them 15, 20 plus million. For those of you that are listening and you don't know this, Colorado Rockies are in the top 10 major league payroll and you would never know that. No, their payroll this year going into the season is higher than the Dodgers. It's ridiculous. And part of that's because they signed these guys a couple years ago. It didn't work out. Now they're trying to abandon ship. So, like, did you purposely sign Arenado knowing that you have to trade him? Like, I feel like that's what it is. Like, you signed him. him Just as an asset to get prospects. Right. You signed him as a long-term deal. So, if I trade him to Team A or Team B or Team C, that you know you got him on a seven-year deal, give me your prospects, baby. Come on. Where you at? And then they gave him the the buy or the opt out clause after what four years or three years, so he could keep, he could keep his happiness. It's a mess. Colorado's got an egg on their face, and you know they ain't getting no pitchers anyway. Ain't no pitcher wants to go to Colorado anyhow. They gotta draft them. They gotta draft them, or you gotta try to steal them in a freaking trade with a bunch of AAA players. But there, this is a mess. And Arenado's going to fight the good fight. He's just going to show up. And go play ball like it, but the fact if he shows up opening day on the Rockies roster, Colorado failed because they've already screwed it up. Even though it's January and we still find a ton of time to talk about baseball, as much as I enjoy that, let's let's move on to a couple other things. So we know the Super Bowl is a couple weeks away, but more kind of larger NFL news. A legend, an icon, a, a iconoclast. I don't know what you want to call him. Don't oversell it. I, I will oversell it. He's a Hall of Famer, damn it. Mm. Eli Manning is retired. What are your thoughts and what are your feelings? Are you okay? How are you calling him a Hall of Famer? Because if he was Eli Bishwekin, <laughs> would he be a Hall of Famer? Yes, because he kept Tom Brady from getting eight rings. That's the only damn reason. <laughs> Only reason. We're going to ignore the fact that he's top 10 in passing yards, top 10 in touchdowns all time. As I said earlier, his stats check out on paper. But if you would ask me any year he played, was he top five quarterback? I would probably tell you no. Maybe one or twice. That's so it. It was like a Jeter type thing where he hung around for so long. He was always top 10. And the – okay, how many teams are there? So 32. We, we let the t- – a third of the league in right, now. So he's a top 33%. That's ridiculous. Is it the Hall of Very Good or the Hall of Fame? It's the Hall it's of... supposed to be the Hall of Fame, but Chad's trying to make it the Hall of Very Good. Who's better than Eli Manning that's playing no, right now? No, so his stats stand out, but he's not that... He wasn't that great. He, he was, won two Super Bowls and beat Tom Brady, which elevated his case. Right. But that's post, it. But postseason matters. He's the only quarterback in NFL history to have two postseasons where he won four games. The only two postseasons he ever played in that he ever won a damn game. Get out of here. Two Super Bowls, one a day. You make it sound so happenstance, like he only won a damn game. He won two Super Bowls. You're How? telling me he's a Hall of Fame player and the only two years he won Super Bowls are the years that he won playoff games where he had one of the best defensive lines in the history of football? I'm Get not, out of here. I'm not talking about defensive lines. I'm talking about Elon Manning. And what I'm t- also talking but about But how did he get there because of that defensive line? You can't count on both hands how many quarterbacks have more than one Super Bowl. 
That's because I only have nine fingers. <laughs> well, Elon Manning only needs two because he's got two rings. And I'm sorry that both of them were against your Patriots. And I'm not an Eli Manning apologist. So what you're telling me is that Eli Manning has two Super Bowls where he was the best player on the field, the best player the whole playoff. So undoubtedly, he's better than Peyton then, right? They both won two, but Eli's better. Now, now you're just being a jackass. Oh, Peyton's that's second semantics. Super Bowl. I he never was a did. I ever sit field? here. No, did that's, just, that's where you're going. That you're not better. saying it, but you're leading into I it. I did not even lead that he's better than his brother. How dare you? You're, you're trying to nullify an argument. See, this is what people do. They lose an argument and they get into a point where they're backed into the corner, so they lash out with ridiculous, irrational topics. That's what you just did. No, I'm just following your ridiculous, irrational topic. Blah, that blah, Eli blah. Manning is the first ballot Hall of Famer. All right, is Philip Rivers a Hall of Famer? Based on your logic, yes. No, no, not based on my logic. <laughs> Going my off logic of what out. Chad the Mark says, Eli and right, Philip are first ballot Hall of Famers. It is no, I'm not talking about Eli now. Is Aaron Rodgers a Hall of Famer? Did you see the game this week? <laughs> I did. Is he a Hall of Famer? Not this week. <laughs> I mean, here's what people got to realize. The NFL passes way more now than it's ever done. So stats are inflated. I get I get that. So just because their stats are better than, say, like a Joe Montana, right. who was elite. Understand. But now you can't say that a third of the league gets in the Hall of Fame. So, and I don't mutually think it's exclusive to say that just because you won a Super Bowl, you get in the Hall of Fame. But he won two. He was a two-time Super Bowl MVP. I mean, I, I think he deserves a shot. So, Phil Simms is the first ballot Hall of Famer also? No, if you look at his numbers, he's not even in the but top first, tw- Phil Simms is a Hall of Famer. Though. No, not even in the top 20 in passing yards but or touchdowns. Phil Simms won two Super Bowls. Not even not even the top 30. But Phil Simms won two Super Bowls. Like I just said. So now you're being an idiot because I just said that winning a Super Bowl is not mutually exclusive. So you want to bring the Phil Simms into the argument when I just said that Eli Manning is top 10 all Longevity. Hey, Brett Favre, you play long enough, you don't have a record. Right. And that's fine. There's something to be said for that. If you can play long-term and be productive, then that's fine. I'm not saying that Phil Simms is in the Hall of Fame. Phil Simms is not in the top 30 in passing yards or touchdowns. Yeah, you want a Super Bowl, but it's not mutual exclusiveness to get you in. Here's kind of what he's got going for him. Just like a Derek Jeter. I mean, that's a good analogy. Jeter played for 20 years because someone wanted him to play shortstop. It happened to be the Yankees. because They he wanted was, him to play quarter. Because he was good enough. So Eli played that long for the Giants. Maybe a, a year or two too long, but he's decided to hang it up. And, uh, like, to me, I would go either way. So let's see what the voters think. I think he's definitely a Hall of Famer. I'm not saying he's first ballot. I'm not saying he's the best quarterback of all time or anything like that. But if you want to sit there and look at the history of impact he had on the National Football League and act like it didn't happen, act like he didn't win two Super Bowls, act like he didn't play for almost you know 20 years and give a huge contribution to a New York franchise that desperately needed that, a guy that always answered the media, a guy that was always there, played in the toughest market, and was an average to good quarterback most years. Yeah, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. Shoot me if you feel different. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'll meet you in the middle. All right? Meet I, me. How about Eli and Peyton take over for Joe Buck and Troy Eggman? 
in the booth. I don't think I'd like that. It'd be pretty bland. That'd be pretty awesome. I mean, unless it's the Peyton Manning throwing footballs at kids on the Saturday Night Live thing, I, I don't know if I like that. You give me those two in the Monday Night Football booth with Gus Johnson on play by play. No, no, you can't take <laughs> Gus Johnson. That's not fair. Gus Johnson by himself is entertainment. You got to take Booger McFarland. Do you not think that Eli and Peyton in the booth would not be dynamite? I think it would be, uh, I don't know. It'd be like too many inside jokes. I don't know. I think it'd be awesome. Don't get me wrong. I'm not an Eli fan, obviously. But uh, those two together would be, I think it would be good. All semantics aside, you really not think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? A Hall of Famer who gets in on his fourth or fifth year. Yes. Now, I'm All not I'm saying hearing that. is Just this yes no. first year Hall of Famer. No, never long, said longevity that. numbers and where he played. Just like we just said, because he was in New York. Had he had the same career in Detroit, we're not talking about him as a Hall of Famer. Because Matthew Stafford's got better numbers. No Super Bowls, obviously. Right. I no, get that. No, hell, no playoff but wins. Matthew Stafford will put him to shame with numbers by the time he's done. He won't get the same consideration. But like you said, it's because the game has changed. It's more of an offensive passing format now. I'm just saying, I'm look, I'm not an Eli fan, but I'm just looking at when he came along in the league, what he meant to the league, what he was able to do. And let's be honest, you're a Patriots fan. So of all people, to sit there and look at the guy that kept Tom Brady from being a, a legend of eight Super Bowl victories – you should want this guy in the Hall of Fame. He's that good. This is but, the guy that stole your thunder. But that's the thing. Before you said any of that, before you said Tom Brady and the Patriots, you said Manning. If it were not for his last name, would I, he have had the same I don't reputation? care about his last name. I don't think it matters. Well, we're talking about him as an individual for the Hall of Fame. All right, I'll quit so saying his last Manning. name is very important I'll in this quit discussion. saying his last name then. I'll just say Eli. Eli, Eli, Eli. The book of Eli says that thou shalt go to the Hall of Fame because that's how good he was. I'm not saying I love Eli. I'll tell you what ain't good is the NFL Hall of Fame. It don't compare. So just let him in. (laughs) Let him in. Who cares? It don't mean nothing anyway. I'm in there. They got a bust of me. Well, it's not quite March Madness, but I got to admit, I'm kind of excited. I saw the end of the Kansas and Kansas State game. What the hell happened? I felt like we were in Detroit. Where's Ron Artest? <laughs> Metal World Peace. <laughs> Is it the, oh, the malice of the palace? <laughs> it was like the Battle Royal dude grabbing a chair and everything. It was great. It was <laughs> like a hardcore, a, chair. a hardcore match. He was. Hardcore match only gets you 12 games. It was. There is uh, no pen follower submission. It's a last man standing match. But that being said, college basketball has been relatively wild this year. Like if you're ranked number one, just count on losing. If you're ranked number two, you can count on losing. It's all over the place. But, man, like you're, you're the game's in hand. And I get they're dribbling out the clock. Kansas State steals the ball. And the dude pins it against the backboard, but then he has to tower over him. And then everybody, like, gets into the Donnybrook. It's like a scrum. It's crazy. Like, and that, what are the suspension of this? Like, 12 games? There was one 12-game suspension for that uh, DeSosa. That's the guy that had the chair. The rest of them were two-game suspensions. I thought it was kind of laughable what they did. Well, I guess when you're compared to the guy that has the chair, it is kind of laughable. I mean, the guy that was dribbling, 
The game was winding down. He's trying to end the game. Right? So he's, the other player sneaks in and steals it for Kansas State. Yeah, I'm going to show you. And I'm going to go dribble in and get a dunk, easy dunk. Watch me score. The dude blocks him or fouls him and then blocks him, whatever. I think he's just stuffed him. Stands over top of him. But, I mean, you can't get mad. I mean, to me, if you're Kansas State, you can't get mad because – No, you're they were the trying to mercy kill you. You're the jackass who started it. So then, yeah, the dude upped you by blocking you, even though you're trying to pull a fast one. Get over it. You suck. You got a lucky win against the Mountaineers and move on with your life. Like, if you're dribbling the ball out, you might as well just hand it to the other team and that other team's not going to try to score. The game's over. So when you try to go out of your way to steal it and go and score – yeah, you deserve the Donnie Brook you got. He's lucky he didn't hit somebody with that chair. Was it Kansas earlier in the year where it was a 40-point game, the guy stole it to last five seconds, dribbled down for the duck, or was that a different team? I can't confirm or deny that. I don't know. Okay, I was going to say if it was Kansas, that's why it led to so the Donnie Brook. So you're saying they got their comeuppance. They got their comeuppance. <laughs> you're basing that on no fact, but just a gut feeling you had that they were kind of dirt bags earlier in the year. Yes. I believe so. <laughs> yes. What happens when he got all them corn stalks? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's Kansas. They've been known to be dirt bags for forever, right? That's all right. I, you know what? If they would suspend Azubuki, I'd be happy. I feel like he's the only guy that really scares me on that team. I mean, I saw, I saw him throwing some haymakers, man. He was. He had him cocked back. They need to suspend him until after West Virginia and Morgantown. <laughs> That's right. Now, we don't, you know what? It doesn't matter. WV always beats Kansas and Morgantown. We can do that. We just can't beat them there. And then Tanya Harding, what? What are we talking about now? Tanya Harding's in Portland. (laughs) We're watching the Mavericks and the Trailblazers, and apparently Tanya Harding is in attendance. It did look like her, but it was kind of a lawn, and we were talking about people getting kneecapped and stuff. I, I'm and sure it just it's just Mark. I'm sure it's just Margot Roby. Now I think Kerrigan was beside of her. <laughs> Margot. <laughs> <sighs> what is her alter ego? It's Harley Quinn. <laughs> Harley Quinn. I'm just gonna call her Harley Quinn from now on. I don't get all them European <laughs> names. <laughs> it's not European. She's American. It's not American. It's Margot. Mar- yeah. Margot Mar- Roby, eh? Oh, she's quite a mother canucker, wouldn't you say, eh? She probably like some bush. Bush. She makes me want to tickle my pickle, eh? <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> I don't know about that, eh? I will have to watch Letterkenny now because that's where we went with this. Hey, easy, easy there, Squirrely Dan. Obviously, when you edit all that out, right? <laughs> right? I don't know. Are you, well, still, are you still rolling? I am. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, joining us now once again, longtime friend of the show, Always a pleasure to talk to. He's a man of many hats. If you want to call him a former professional athlete, a football player, college football player, whatever you want to, he's so much more than that. He's also a best-selling author. This isn't even his first book, but he's got another book coming out that he wants to definitely talk about with us tonight. But please welcome back Eugene Napoleon to the show. Eugene, sir, how are you? I'm blessed. You already know it's great to be on, always. Man, you're you're definitely one of my favorite people to talk to. And, you know, I, I know, 
you know, it's kind of off the subject a little bit, but I want to ask you, you were kind of gushing a little bit when we got on the, on the phone here with you and your wife's got a, a couple of accomplishments out there. She doesn't know about it, but this doesn't air till tomorrow. So you can go ahead and tell everybody what's going on with your wife. <laughs> you got it. Oh, we just got her first award in the mail and, and I'm so excited. She has no idea. Um, again, she's a college basketball coach, so they had a game tonight. Uh, so she's not even home yet. So the mail got here before she did. So I got a chance to open it up. And sure enough, you know, uh, she had four awards in 2019 that she won. But the first one came tonight and it's uh, the uh, top charting uh, artist. She had four number ones and, you know, four number ones and two top five hit records in, in, in 2019 alone. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, you know, and she is so humble about it that when she sees this award, she's going to be excited but it's going to be a, a even killed uh, excitement. <laughs> That's a great year, though, you know? Oh, no doubt about it. That's a better no. year than I had. <laughs> <laughs> We're grateful. We're grateful to God. We're grateful to all the fans. Um, I, 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 I like to think that we have the best producer in the business, Kenny Black, the music machine. He's a Grammy-nominated producer. Um, they, they've just been putting out hit after hit after hit for the last four years. So I – what more could I say? I'm, I'm just really, really happy with the whole pro uh, process. Well, I mean, for those who don't know, you know, Eugene, like I said, is a man of many hats, uh, former football player, but has has been in the, the music game, has been in sports agency before and things like that, and his wife uh, obviously having much success, so we definitely congratulate you guys on that. And, uh, and hopefully 2020 continues to bring more of the same, so good luck when you guys cut that new album. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. But as much as we like talking about your wife, we'll we'll ask you about what you got going on. So, you know, the big thing, you know, we're all we're all West Virginia boys, so to speak. You you not necessarily born and raised here, but we know that golden blue runs through your veins like no other. And yeah. you had you had an opportunity. Well, actually, before I even bring it up, I'm watching the Mountaineer game on ESPN the other night. Yeah, we were texting and, and we're back texting and forth. back and forth, and I'm like, oh, they're talking about Eugene on ESPN. Why were <laughs> they talking about you? What what was happening? It was so crazy. And, and somebody had told me that after the fact that I was like, wow, that, that now that's a great honor as well. Um, Monday, I was in Morgantown. Um, Martha Luther King Jr. Uh, Unity Breakfast. Uh, they've been doing it for, I want to say, the last 12 or so years. So I was at the Mountain Lake Ballroom. I, I was a keynote speaker for that. And I, listen, humbled. I mean, when I tell you humbled, humbled. Over 300 people uh, came. It was a great event. Uh, President Gee, uh, it, just, I couldn't have scripted that or or written it better myself. The the day was was perfect. You know, we we had a great time. Man, I, I would have liked to have been there because I, I find you one of the more fascinating people to listen to. So to put you in front of a crowd of three hundred people in a microphone, that, that's a good time for me. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, trust me, it was it was a good time. It really. Um, I'm I'm listening and, and, and looking at some of the comments, even uh, as of earliest today. You know, people that were there, the young people and people, you know, anybody that was there, they, they were texting me or or, or uh, sending me stuff on my social media. And uh, it's real humbling. It really is. It Trust me, it really is. So how did that go about? How did you get that opportunity? What what brought that on for you to be invited to be the keynote speaker? I got a uh, an invite. Eric Jordan, who actually works for the university, um, hit me up uh, on social media. And asked me, said, listen, you know, we, we, we have this opportunity. We want you to be the keynote speaker for the MLK 
unity breakfast. We do it every year. It's at the Mountain Lair. Uh, gave me the, the, the time, the date. And as soon as he said it, um, I started thinking. I said, you know what? I'm going to move some things around on my schedule because how could you say no to that? First off, coming back to West Virginia, that, that's that's home. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's I always like to come back and, and, and hang around campus. So couldn't say no. And then, of course, what it meant. MLK? How could you say no to that? So I'm sure they they welcomed you back, obviously with open arms. So any uh, any little insight on on how your speech went? What what did you try to cover? What was the point you tried to get across? Oh sure, um, there were a few quotes that you know when you talk about Martin Luther King. Obviously, there's so many things that this man stood for. Um, one of the biggest things I wanted to get across was not only the unity part, but just the love of people in service. Being able to give something back and, and, and not necessarily give get anything back in return, but the importance of giving versus receiving and just treating everybody as fair as you possibly can. And I don't care what color, race, creed or whatever. You could be purple um, just to be a, a good human being. So mm-hmm. I think I drove mm-hmm. that that um, that point home. Uh, at least I hope I did. <laughs> and. Apparently I did because a lot of people, they really got it in. And I really wanted to talk to our young people. We had 130 volunteers there that the minute I was done speaking, they went out into the community and gave of themselves and, and, and free service to others. That's what that day was all about. Right. Yeah, we got to see a little bit of that on TV where people were out, you know, in retirement homes or whatever it may be, you know, soup kitchens doing whatever they could to give back to the community. So definitely an overall pretty awesome thing. And that's what it's about, man. Just giving back, you know. Definitely. That's important. I mean, that's that's the way I grew up. My mom raised me to believe that, listen, it's better to give than to receive. And, and that, that was the the overall resounding message I was trying to uh, to give on Monday. I was going to give you one of our favorite quotes. We actually put it on our page on Monday. I mean, tell me what you think about this one. It says, sure. the, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in the moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. I love it. So I love it. That hit you know, with it's me. Kind of, it's kind of funny. That resonates because it's almost like talking about standing on your personal convictions, right? And everybody can have, they can say whatever they want, because when people look at other individuals, for some reason, they look at the surface. We all have depth to us, but someone will look on the surface and that's how they're going to judge someone. You know what I mean? But when you get past all of that, that person is being judged. If they can stay on their own personal convictions of what they believe in, usually you kind of prove the other person wrong. You know what I mean? You thought I was this, but I'm really not. Here's who I really am. On a preconceived notion, just get to know the person and you don't know what what's going to happen. You know, let the person show you who they are. Exactly. I mean, that that's a clear indicator of to me. It's just stop judging people. You know, I I put it out here now. My wife's next single. It's called don't. uh, uh, What is it? Um, Don't judge me. There you go. (laughs) That's awesome. yeah, I'm not nearly as eloquent as Martin Luther King, obviously. So my, my take on that was always, you know, everyone can can think you're a great guy when things are going well. But when your back's up against the wall and you're feeling the adversity, that's when your true character kind of comes out. So if you're going to be a good person and do all the things we just talked about, you know, you, you're, you're that person, whether things are going well or things aren't. That's for sure. Exactly. That's for sure. That's definitely for sure. Well, well speaking of, uh, you know, 
maybe trying to be the the spirit of motivation or inspiration and trying to be that type of person to help people when they're in those moments. You have a book coming out, right? Matter of fact, I, it, it's out. Um, we released it on January 7th. And there it is. I, I have some questions uh, about the book here in a sec. More importantly, before I even get into the book, who did the cover work for you? Because the cartoon version of Eugene is fantastic. And there's a ring that kind of stands out for a certain reason. So what, what's up with the <laughs> ring? What does the ring mean there? I, I'm just dying oh, to know. It, this is funny. Now, my son, as you know, went to West Virginia Brandon back in 2012. He was he was part of Dana Holgerson's first recruiting class. And this is actually the pinstripe bowl. This is actually uh, his ring. And there's, I guess it's a sad story, but it, it's a symbolic story that goes with it. Many years ago, my first bowl ring, I gave it to my dad. And when my dad passed, um, unfortunately, it, it got misplaced. Um, never got it back. I told my son that story. I think Brandon had to be maybe eight or, or, or nine or so, maybe 10 years old. He remembered that. This is his first bowl ring. All right. So when he got his ring, he brings it home and he says, <laughs> my son is so funny, gives it to me in a little black case and I open it up and it's his ring. He said, dad, I want you to have this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Brandon, no, it's yours. He said, no, no, I want you to have this. Granddad, you gave granddad your first bowl ring. And now I'm giving you my first bowl ring. I almost lost it. That's and of course, stuff right there. yeah, of course, he says to me, all right, old man, now don't get all teary eyed about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. See, I didn't have any inside knowledge of that. I just I just kept looking at it. I was like, what, what's why is this ring so prevalent on this animation of Eugene? But there you yeah. go. That's a heck of a yeah. story. Yeah. And, you know, what's so ironic about this. Um, I'm not sure if you saw Scholar Callahan and myself, we were doing some of the, the, the West Virginia games, yep. you know, and that animation that was done for, for, for that particular cover, when I saw it, I, I loved it. You know, I said, this is, this is interesting. I want to do the same, you know, something that will really stand out, something that will be really different for this book. So that's what gave me the idea, you know, to get it done. And, and I'm glad I did. You know, books are so subjective. You know, it, you want something that that's really different. It's like, what would be better than an animated cover? <laughs> I, well, I, I love it, but but you know, let's get to the the actual book, not just the cover. You know, we can't judge it by the cover. So, <laughs> so tell everybody a little bit about the book, why you decided to to put this together, and what all's inside. Sure, it's 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 uh it's it's an inspiring quotes book. So it's through my life experiences from the music entertainment industry, the sports industry, business. It's all wrapped up into one. It's five chapters, 10 motivational, inspirational quotes per chapter. So, for instance, it's all labeled. So chapter one is love relationships. You know, and it's 10 inspiring quotes based on love and relationships. You know, if, if you flip through to chapter two, it's making better decisions. So it's 10 motivational quotes about making better decisions. You know what I mean? And I went on to, for instance, chapter three is emotions. So it's 10 motivational quotes about emotions. And what made me put this together, it's interesting. 
I was talking to an AD of, of, of a particular program a while ago, and he was saying how he just can't get some of the students to read. They don't want to read these big, long books, right? And it would just so happen that I'd already started pinning this. So as I was talking to him, it was confirmation to me that, you know what, I'm heading in the right direction. Quotes are really good. You can do workshops on quotes. You could take a quote and have a young person write a narrative from that particular quote of how it relates to them and break it down that way. And I said, you know what? I'm going to finish this book, get it out by early January, make sure I get it to a lot of the ADs and some of the uh, middle schools, uh, high schools, collegiate athletes, even maybe some of the pro athletes and people in general that like reading quotes. I mean, I, I can tell you right now, I have a daughter who's 12 going on 13, gymnast, softball player. She's at that awkward stage. She's worried about what everyone else thinks and like, you know, emotions running wild. I mean, I think that's a great gift. You know, I might even look into, you know, getting one of those copies off of you because we're having some issues we're struggling with with her. And, you know, I think something just has to make it click. No doubt. And the funny thing is, like, even on the cover, it, it's reflections, but it's a, a book of inspiring quotes and thoughts to help build confidence and self-esteem. Right. That's now on the head right that's there. It, yeah, that's what it is. And it's just based on, again, it's based on some of my personal experiences that I've gone through. And I've been writing quotes, I want to say, probably since high school, to be honest with you. It, <laughs> that far back. Things that you, that kind of clicks in your head, you jot it down. You know, and that's what made me. I had so much material to pick from, but I only did 50 because the whole objective is is for it to be short and sweet, but to really get people to really sink into it. You don't want to give them too much, but give them just enough where they can, you know, really sink their teeth into it. All right. Well, th without giving too much, is there any way you can tell me what your favorite quote out of the book might be? Or do you just want to tell everybody just buy the book and find out? <laughs> well, no, look, they can buy, you know what I'm happy with? It's, it's Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble. You can buy it anywhere, but there's a quote in here that one of my favorites. Okay. Inspire change, uh, inspire positive change in the life of others. That's one of my favorite quotes. And the reason why it's one of my favorite quotes, because anytime you can provoke somebody to do something a little bit better and be a better person, so to speak, that's impactful to me. And you can learn that from a kid if you're paying attention. You know what I mean? Um, and that's really what it's all about. You really want to inspire a positive change because people can inspire a different type of change, too. <laughs> it is not. So... That's that's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, I'm going to give you another one, which is interesting. Somebody said uh, they wrote this down when they brought my book and said, you can't invite everybody to the table. You know, um, so in theory, what does that mean? Well, there's a certain core value group that we all have, I'm sure. And there may be some people that might not be able to sit at that table with you. You know, and. They may not see things the way you do. Doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means that that might not mix. You know, it's like a, a Pitt fan and a West Virginia fan. <laughs> that definitely doesn't. <laughs> not right. not saying they're all bad people, but you know they're still. <laughs> no, yeah, you know that. But the only thing we have in common, it might be a semblance to the colors. <laughs> I, I, that's still a reach, Eugene. Watch out. 
<laughs> but you know what I mean. It's one of them things where you kind of understand you really can't bring everybody and, and sit them at your table because it may not be a good mix for you. And it's hard for young people to understand that, too. You know, like, like, like you were saying about your daughter. Sometimes I tell uh, the kids that I teach and work with all the time, if you're going in one direction and you're really trying to be great, you can't do average things. So if you're going in one direction, you want to go work out and this person wants to go over here and party, that's not a good mix for you. It's not going to work. So let that person be that person. Listen, dude, go party. I'm going to go work out. You just got to be you. Be you, you know? Exactly. That goes back to that other quote, too. Just keep trying to be a positive influence on others, right? That's it. That You know, that's the connector. It really is. Like, I didn't drink or smoke or party. I had friends that did. But when they when they wanted to hang around me, they didn't. They respected me enough not to do it. After a few years, they stopped doing it. <laughs> so it was pretty cool, you know. It was it was it was cool. It's all a process. We all know that nobody's perfect. It's all a process. All right, so I'm dying to ask you about the Super Bowl, but just one last time, cheap plug time here. Tell everybody real quick about your wife, where they can check out her music at, and tell everybody one more time where they can find your book and what it's called. Thank you so much. My wife, her name is not stage name is Naya N Y apostrophe A. She's a gold selling recording artist. You could find her music anywhere, Spotify, any digital uh, uh, where you where you would buy your digital music. Her music is everywhere. The name of her album is something for everybody. It was Grammy considered. Um, like I said, uh, four number ones, uh, two top five records in 2019 alone. New record will be out uh, mid Jan. January. It's called Don't Judge Me. So that's my wife's stuff. This book, Reflections, it's out on Amazon. It's out on uh, Barnes and Noble. And it's on 2,800 other uh, regional retail outlets. So you can literally pretty much plug my name in and with the, the title and you'll be able to purchase it from anywhere. I mean, if you want, I'll give you time. You can mention all 2,800. but i'm 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 excited and listen man i I really appreciate you guys always having me on it's it's an awesome platform and i love you guys man thank you uh you know we always keep in touch man you're one of my favorite people but before we let you go we got a super bowl coming up and we got yes. the Chiefs and we got the Niners. So so tell everybody what your thoughts are. And if you can be as bold enough to give us prediction, please you, amuse us. You know me. Now, the last time we did the prediction thing, I think I did pretty good. You did all right. You, you know what? You you had you straightened me up. I started doing a lot better after that. You've got to come back next year for an encore, okay, for that. Twelve yes. ladies and gentlemen, Eugene Napoleon was twelve and four in his one appearance. In picking against the spread, not just winners, but beating Vegas and cleaning out the house. <laughs> Thank you. And it will be my pleasure and honor to come back to do it again next season. This Super Bowl is going to be real interesting. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, right off the top, I'm going for the Kansas City Chiefs. And there's a reason for that. I think Patrick Mahomes m- might be one of the most dynamic all around quarterbacks in the last few years, he is something that a defense really. <laughs> and I'm agreeing with you, Mr. Brown yeah. is flashing his Raiders gear, trying yeah. to still. He's, he's saying he's a Raiders fan, but I agree with your Mahomes assessment. <laughs> Mahomes, he is something different, man. It's hard to 
stop someone with that type of vision, arm talent, the ability to make plays with his legs, but still look downfield. I haven't seen he's just a magnificent orchestrator of that particular offense that he's in. He can make every throw. He makes the team, he makes everybody better. So how do you beat that? You know, his running, the running game is good by itself without him being in the running game. The last two games, he he led them in rushing. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be hard for the 49ers to stop that for four quarters. My only concern is the Chiefs normally start slow. They have been. I yeah, they have. I don't think you can start slow in this kind of Super Bowl only because the 49ers also have a really good offense. And when they're clicking on all cylinders, it seems to rev their defense up a little bit more. You know what I mean? So I don't think that the Chiefs can afford to start slow in this game. If they start fast and start to click and they're making the game and they're prolonging the game and they're controlling the clock, it's going to be really hard for the 49ers to put up enough points to beat them. So they're going to go in like a 51-7 to run right out of the gate <laughs> like, like they did against Tennessee after they were down by 24? Houston. That was crazy. I'm oh, sorry, Houston, sorry. Houston, that was crazy. Yeah. But, but now, that's, like, that's like college if, stuff. If that showed you anything, it, it showed you that, honestly, not to be disrespectful to the NFL and the defenses, they can pretty much score when they want to. Well, they have been. <laughs> I mean, it's once they get clicking and once they figure out what you're doing defensively, it's almost impossible to stop them unless they stop themselves. All right, so do you want to give us a final score? Or what's it going to be? Listen, I'm thinking, matter of fact, it don't even, it, it goes, it wouldn't matter if they started slow or not. I'm going to say they'll score at least 42 points. I was going to say 42 before he said it. That's where I was. <laughs> They're going to score at least 42 points. And I I think this score will be 42-24, the Chiefs. I, I can't disagree with that. I will say this. I feel like anything could happen in the Super Bowl, and I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. The, these teams are so different when it comes down to like why they're successful that if the Niners won by a couple scores, I wouldn't be that surprised. If the Chiefs blew right. it out, if it was a nail-biter, like – it literally could be anything. No doubt. I agree. I honestly hope it's a close game, but even better is the fact that there's no Patriots, so we all win. Yay! <laughs> that was going to be my question to you guys. How do you feel about a Super Bowl without having New England in it? Do I'm you think pre I'm pretty excited. I, I think the ratings will go up. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think so. I think so. I mean, you got the Niners, who's got a strong fan base. You got the Chiefs, who haven't been there for 50 years. I think it's going to be a great turnout, and I think hopefully it's a great game. But I'm, I'm excited to see two new teams in there and see what happens. I agree. What, real quick, what do you think about the retirement of uh, of our boy Eli Manning? I mean, right time. What do you think? Uh, he probably should have last year, but yeah, now is definitely a right time. Like I, I'd hate to see him. I, I don't like it when – like, nobody wants to see Joe Namath play on the Rams or wherever it was he went. Like, you know, we want to see people in a career, you know, on the team that you've been with all those years. I I think – and I know I don't know if Mr. Brown agrees with me on this or not, but I think Eli Manning is a Hall of Famer. 
I think he definitely, you know, needs to retire a giant. I think the giants have already made the decision to move forward the way they want to, you know, let's just all ride off into the sunset together and be happy. I mean, I I think he's a Hall of Famer just by stats. I mean, but I never like would watch him and say, "Oh, there's a top five quarterback in the league." But he happened to beat Tom Brady twice, so that elevates his status. <laughs> right there, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's the reason I, why Tom Brady doesn't have eight rings. I, I think I longevity and uh, his stats. It's a it's a pass friendly league now, and no you know, doubt he stayed in there. No, I agree with you 100. percent I also believe this too. You can't win two Super Bowls and be MVP of both Super Bowls, and and you you beat the number one team or the best team, respectfully, in both Super Bowls, and not be considered a Hall of Famer. 16 well, years? Yeah. No, no disrespect, but I think Tyree should have been a Super Bowl that with just that catch alone. <laughs> just, just that one catch. <laughs> Let's, Give it to and, him. And I'm sure if you talk to him, he will echo the same sentiment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> well, let's give it to his helmet. Let him be the MVP. <laughs> yeah, well, he'll put his helmet in Canton. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you, you might. Yeah, they might do that. <laughs> before, before we go, I am going to do this because I, I definitely want to, and I definitely got to. Listen, this is one of. We talk about my wife. There it is. That's one of the awards. Right. It just came in the mail. Best, so hope- best chart topping independent artist. It's gold selling artist Naya. All right. Yep. Star, star soul fame artist. Yes. So I'm I'm so again, I'm so appreciative of that. And hard work definitely pays off. So anybody that's out there that that's a recording artist or a writer or whatever, musician, please know that you can make that happen as long as you work hard. So that's really what that is. And I'm gonna give shout outs to RB Soul, Effects TV, their entire staff. It's a great platform, and they really do a really good job of making sure the music is heard, and that's the most important thing. So, well, Eugene, we appreciate you as always, brother, and hopefully you get to enjoy the Super Bowl. We'll see if the Chiefs uh, pull up that victory as you predicted. Congratulations to your wife. And everybody, make sure you check out his, his new book. Called, what's the name of it? Reflections. Reflections. And you know what? I picked up a couple inspirational quotes just from talking to you, like always. So I'll be checking it out. But, guys, it's on Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, wherever you can find it. Eugene, thanks again as always. We'll talk to you later, brother. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Let's go Mountaineers. That's right. Let's go Mountaineers. <laughs> All right. See you later, fellas. See you, brother. Well, I feel like we spent the bulk of the show talking about Major League Baseball, which is insane because it's January. But you know what? That stuff is relevant right now. But we got a little bit of pop culture topics to bring up. And I'll be honest with you, Mr. Brown, I watched the Ted Williams documentary you recommended on, I guess it was PBS slash Netflix. It wasn't bad. It was probably two hours too short, but for an hour of a documentary about the splendid splinter, the greatest hitter that ever played. It wasn't bad. A lot of there you wouldn't have known, right? I mean, you know, especially the snook. <laughs> yeah, that's, that stuff was fun. But, like, I was overall disappointed it was as short as it was because I felt like it left a lot to be offered. It, it just wasn't long enough. I mean, I, and I got you. I mean, but I, I was tuned in the whole time. It, it kept my interest, I mean, the whole time. So. I mean, I, I watched it. Now, that being said – 
I haven't done anything else for pop culture. I have no other movies. I can't say I've watched anything. I haven't seen anything. I haven't, and I have unlimited cable. We have, you know, this awesome package that you've recommended to us. I haven't even watched anything. Busy week. It's been a busy week. I worked every day. Today was my first day off in like nine days. I don't know. Do you have anything of pop culture relevance to bring up? Uh, not, not movie-wise, uh, but I, I'm looking at it from a uh, global perspective. So LeBron, right? LeBron. He, he's the biggest icon in basketball right now. You could say that. So who made their debut last night? Zion. So everyone's saying that was probably the most anticipated debut or debut. Sorry, debut. debut. His debut. I told you he <laughs> since would have, LeBron. I told you he would have. I told you he would have less than eight points. What a what a misjudgment that well, was. He, I said twelve, and he had twenty two. Um, he was on a minutes restriction. He was only playing in four or five minute bursts. But the reason why I want to bring up uh, Zion is for pop culture is because he has every chance to shape the global environment. He could be the greatest. You know, because I'm not saying the greatest. He but, could be. Um, let me let me finish real quick because this is my pop culture, Biggs, okay? Don't steal my thunder. Stop it, Biggie. I'm not, you can talk about your pop culture next. All right, so Zion, uh, a few takeaways. He's 285 pounds. He's a big boy. He's definitely overweight. He's a big boy. He waddles when he runs. He's a big boy. But all that being said, with him being this far out of shape and he hadn't played <laughs> in the whole season, he had 22.7 rebounds, four for four from downtown in 18 minutes. And to put it in perspective, Mr. Uh, what's his name on the Sixers? Joe Embiid? No, Simmons. Ben Simmons. It's two for 22 in his career on threes. <laughs> he and had four. It's four for four in his early career. So – I feel like the sky's the limit for the kid. If he would ever get in shape, it's going to be scary. Um, I just don't know if his body type will uh, hold up the test of time. So is he like a rich man, Ben Simmons? Is that what you think? No, I think he's a whole different player than Ben Too Simmons. Too early to tell how good he is. I think he could be a great player. He, he could be a 2010 guy for sure. So a couple things. I'm watching the game. First of all, he had a lot of turnovers. and Nobody wants to talk about that. It was I'm, sloppy. I'm not hating on him. You know, it's the Pelicans. They suck It's anyway. his first taste of NBA action. The so, speed's so different. It's, it's like fine. NFL. It's fine. Have your turnovers. I was blown away by how many downtown shots he took. Because I feel like he never took that in college. And here we are in the NBA and he's shooting five threes. When you haven't played forever because your knee hurts, you're allowed to shoot that shot. I guess you should hit those open ones. I guess you're allowed to practice that. He never attempted that many threes in a game of Duke. <laughs> Probably not. I don't think he ever com- <laughs> I don't think he ever attempted that many in his career in college. I'll say to what Mr. Brown said as far as reshaping on a global level. He's got that smile that, like, George Foreman used to sell a ton of grill. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he has a marketer's dream name and Zion. If he can stay healthy, depending on what body type that is, he's got a chance to be a bigger global force than LeBron ever was. He could be great. I'm not saying that. But, you know, I also remember watching LeBron's first game, and he had a decent first game. I feel like Zion's was about on par with that. He could end up being the next great – 
you know, transgenerational athlete. I'm not taking that away from him. But when you I, think of his game and you think about his time at Duke, what was everything about a Duke? His pure athleticism. Right. Last night, it's the threes he hit in a row. If I know. That's what together. I was going to say. So you kind of stole my thunder there with the conversation. I couldn't believe he was shooting the threes that he was shooting because he – I don't ever remember him shooting a three at Duke. And here he is sitting back. And let's be honest – that ball has no arch on it. It's going straight in the basket. No, he, he was coming down as the designated trailer. He would <laughs> pop the three and he'd waddle back down to the other end. <laughs> Waddle's about right. I hope he does great. I hope he does. I, I hope he keeps getting in playing shape and that he loses a little bit of the gut and whatnot. But overall, it was pretty entertaining. I got to say that, you know, for the Pelicans to be on ESPN on a Wednesday, that's pretty exciting. Oh. <laughs> you hear that? Yeah, there's a lot of thunder. <laughs> <laughs> we're not talking about the Thunder. We're talking about the Pelicans. <laughs> oh, I God. farted, everybody, if you didn't hear that. <laughs> this time next year when we're talking about Lonzo and Brandon Ingram and Zion running the Western Conference, we'll look back on this and laugh at Chad having to replace his underwear. I just will uh, not eat those fried pickles. <laughs> all right. What else we got? That's it. I, that's all we got for Bob Culture. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining the We Don't Know Sports Podcast. We've had too much to drink tonight, and it's time for us to transition into next week. It's time to fade away to oblivion. Enjoy your weekend. <laughs> <laughs>